Hey guys, and welcome to episode 16 of the Low Key Podcast. Today's episode is with the owner of Lone Wolf, Philip Phillips. So get ready for this tasty treat and learn more about kimchi fries, banh mi, and why Philip Phillips decided to call it Lone Wolf. And go to more of the Vietnamese cuisine. So get excited and get ready. Because it's nice, it's easy, it's low-key. Hey guys, and welcome to another episode of the Low Key Podcast. I am here with Philip Phillips, the owner of Lone Wolf. Um, how you doing, man? I'm doing great. How are you today? Not too bad, man. Good. Not too bad. I'm loving uh, the breakfast fries right now that you gave me. <laughs> well, so, thanks. Yeah. You know, I, it's kind of like my, uh, it's just who I am. Like, my, I was raised as a nurturer, but with a nurturer mother. Yeah. There's like, you know, there's always something to eat. There's always something. So like, that's, that's how I show people that I like them or I care for them <laughs> like, like it's how I take care of my family like hey rather than just like hey I love you which I do tell them I love them all the time but it's like hey here's biscuits and gravy and that's yeah. in my head I'm telling you I love you by making you biscuits and gravy <laughs> yeah that's awesome yeah I have I have one question for you um, do you often get mistaken for the American Idol Phil Phillips um, or do people tell you that <laughs> uh, it, it still does come up to this day um, <laughs> when, when it first happened uh I was living, it was actually like shortly after we started Lone Wolf, I think maybe like the next year, um, and my uh, my Twitter feed exploded like overnight, like all of a sudden I had all these followers from all over the world, I said, what is going on here? Yeah. And then I found out that there was a Philip Phillips on American Idol, um, and and <laughs> so I, I was like, I attained like an extra like 500 followers overnight, I was like, okay, so these people think that I'm the American Idol, and then I go and look at his page, and he has like a billion followers, and I have like you know, 2,000 or something like that. And I was like, okay, so I just got 500 uh, insane people from around the world to follow me (laughs) because they honestly thought that the guy on American Idol only had, like, 2,000 followers. So I totally exploited it for, like, a week or (laughs) two weeks. It was like... Backstage, so nervous, <laughs> gotta chug a Zima. <laughs> you know, like, like just st- stupid shit, just yeah. constantly. It was fun for about a week until people started calling me out that they realized I wasn't them. Was, yeah. You know, so, yeah. so well, there's that. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. What, um, can you tell us a little bit about, like, what Lone Wolf is and um, what it's about? Sure. Um, so, so Lone Wolf to me and to my wife, who's our business, my business partner, was um, what it really is is wanted to really it's just something fun for Tulsa. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, we, my wife and I have spent a lot of time traveling around the country. Before we did this, I was just a touring musician. So um, really, like a lot of my my passion for the food that I make has come from being on tour, getting to experience things on the West Coast and the East Coast um, that we didn't necessarily have here. Um, yeah. And so really, a lot of what Lone Wolf embodies is those little bits that I got to experience all over the country and kind of brought together into a hodgepodge and made the kind of fusion that Lone Wolf is. Um, Mm. 
So, I mean, to me, to my wife and I, it's, uh, it's, it's what we hoped would, was here when we were larger patrons. You know, now we're parents and we have kids, so it's very rare that we get to go out. And if we do, we're bringing our little psychotic children with us that's yeah. just a whirlwind. <laughs> so, like, you know, Lone Wolf to us is what, when we were 21 and 22 and 23 and 24, like, the place that we would have been at all the time. Um, mm-hmm. And that's what we wanted to make. Yeah. Um, which which it has become a place for a lot of people. Yeah, I think in the Tulsa area. And what's what's crazy to us is the fact that you know we like I was searching I was searching out a very specific demographic when we started, um, and like I I was really taking it from my experience with promoting, you know, shows basically. Like, yeah. Like I knew like okay so I'm gonna go to the Pony because that's where I know that everybody's at that is kind of tapped into the scene. Um, at least the the kind of modern thing that's moving around the country and makes its way to the Midwest. You know, a lot of the people that I know that hang out at Sound Pony were people that would kind of be tapped into that. And and mostly I was trying to hit millennials that absolutely have to talk about everything that they do on their tel- on their phone. Yeah. Um, so I wanted to hit the people that I knew were going to instantly get on Twitter and post a picture of the food that I was making or get on their Instagram account and post a picture of their food. And so that's what we really sought out was like, okay, we're going to hit this one demographic, but then what wound up happening is that they were showing their talking to their parents about it, and then their parents would come down and try it with the anticipation of having some shitty food truck food that their asshole kid that owes them thousands of dollars <laughs> wanted to take them to, and they're just like, I have so much spite towards you. But then they take a bite and go, holy shit, this is great food. <laughs> um, and so then we put, roped in their parents, and then their parents started telling their friends, and now, you know, the, you know, Tulsa's city mayor, G.T. Bynum, is one of our longest-running, you know, everyday customers. Mm-hmm. Um, and our, you know, now we have a giant clientele of doctors and lawyers, and I mean, it's just, it's amazing the fact that the demographic that we thought we were really going to fall into turned so much more broad than we could have ever anticipated, which is what also helped us realize that we had something that we could continue to expand upon and feel comfortable mm-hmm. with. So, yeah. you know, we've, we've doubled our numbers every single year since we've been open. We, we started in September of 2012, um, and every year we've doubled what we're doing. Um, and we did it again this year by opening the restaurant, and then next year we're opening the downtown restaurant, which will be double the size of this place. Wow. Um, so it's, it's pretty crazy. Like, it's not yeah. never what we anticipated happening, you know. Yeah, that, that's got to be a lot of work on you and... Yeah, being an owner—it's got to be crazy. It's unreal. And kids, you know. <laughs> yeah, it's unreal. In, in the early days, we spent most of our time just getting drunk on the food truck. Um, it was like my wife, myself, and Jeff Crow, um, our longest-running employee, which he's still with us. He's a manager now wow. um, here, and so he's been with us since day one. Um, that's the awesome thing about here is you know we have uh, 18 employees, and. Um, well over half of them have been with us for almost four years. Um, wow. And we've only lost three employees along the way. Um, so it's been pretty amazing. Like, like as, as much as we try to, like, double our capacity each year and try to make a better environment for our customers to come into, we also try to make a better environment and a better wage for our employees every year as well. So I think that uh, due in part to why everybody's still with us, which is pretty rad. But, awesome. but going back, like, it used to just be Jeff Crow, myself, and Danielle drinking tequila uh, at Sound Pony Bar and smoking chain smoking cigarettes before we had kids, <laughs> and we're just like people would come and be like, "So when are you gonna open?" And we're like, ah, mm, well, we got 
I'm gonna take two more shots, I'm gonna smoke three more cigarettes, and then we'll get out there and open <laughs> <laughs> like, Yeah, so uh, it's pretty wild just how it's transformed into like a real legitimate business from just really a bunch of drunk dudes <laughs> on a food truck. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about you meeting your wife and yeah. that story a little bit? So Danielle and I originally met back in high school. Um, well, I don't think, actually, I don't think that we did meet when we were in high school together. Um, I have a very distinctive story of the first time I ever saw Danielle. I remember the first time I ever saw her. Um, I was, uh, what year would I have been? I would have been a senior in high school, and she was a sophomore. And she was walking down the hall, and it was just me and her walking down the hall. And I, I, I'm pretty sure I'd seen her before. But she was walking down, and I distinctly remember, like, eyeballing her and being like, man, that's a really hot Mexican chick. <laughs> but my wife is Cherokee Indian, by the way. <laughs> and uh, I always tell her that my, con- uh, yeah, but so I, I, I confused her for a very beautiful Latino woman that's when awesome. we were in high school. But we, we didn't really associate with each other. We didn't really know each other. And... Uh, once she got a little bit older and I was like coming back from my first year in college, my group of friends that I was that I was involved with, she'd become friends with them as well. Mm-hmm. So then I was like 22 or something like that, 22 when we were maybe 21, 22 when we really started hanging out. And then it was just like, you know, normal early 20 debauchery, hanging out all the time and getting <laughs> drunk and, you know, lo- burning brain cells together and then uh we like I, I i was actually pretty crazy about her i actually i actually approached her about being my girlfriend and she turned me down for one of my friends um and that was, that was pretty heart that was a big heartbreaking moment um but i moved down to texas for a little while um and she would actually come down with my friend and stay with me down when i was living in dallas um, and uh, I lived in Dallas for a little over a year, and her and my friend broke up in the in the meantime. I didn't really know anything about it, and I moved back home, um, and uh, back to Tulsa. And I think it was three days after I got home, I was at a quick trip filling up gas, and she came walking out the front door, and she saw me and ran over and jumped into my arms, and we started dating the next day, and we've been together for 11 years now. Wow. That's quite the story. <laughs> yeah, right? I don't know if you really needed all those details, but hey, there's no, the story no, no, okay. of, yeah, yeah, yeah. of there's a story of Danielle and yeah, I. That's awesome. Uh, yeah, yeah. And now we have two kids. Uh, we have a three-year-old named Philip, because um, I'm Philip Phillips the seventh. Um, so I have a long obligation of naming my son Philip Phillips as well. It's not just yeah. like... It's a history thing. Yeah, it's not just being <laughs> self-absorbed, I yeah. promise. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. So can you tell us, like, what what got you and Danielle to start brainstorming in the journey towards Lone Wolf even more? So Oh, for sure. Um, so... Whenever, uh, so I've been cooking in Tulsa for the last like 12 years professionally. Um, I guess no, it's 11 years. Um, but for a while, I was cooking at uh, Keo over off Brookside, um, okay. and I was working for Bill and Zahida over there, and they're fantastic people. They're great business owners. Um, and uh, Zahida brought me into the kitchen. This is when I was kind of just getting my start with professionally cooking. Um, and Zahida brought me in. At the time, Michelle Donaldson was the uh, was the chef in there, which she's the head chef of Tallgrass downtown. Okay, um, wow. So she's an amazingly co- accomplished chef. Mm-hmm. She had just come from the Wynn Casino in Las Vegas and just took the chef position at Keo. 
And so I started working under her, and Michelle took me in and started really training me on uh, Pan-Asian cuisine. So started teaching me over multiple regions all around, all around Asia. So, you know, I wasn't just learning Chinese. I was learning Korean, Chinese, Vietnamese. Um, you know, we were, we were going with, like, a huge tour. It was, it was a really cool experience. Um, and so Michelle brought me in, and instead of just, like, you know, we had our normal restaurant recipe cards where it's like, okay, if you don't know how to make the food... It tells you step by step. You know, I was working the walk line, which is like, you know, crazy, awesome flame that shoots up eight foot tall. But you've got to like, you got to make your dish in like under a minute. So you're wow. just constantly moving. You got to move so fast, but you got to follow these recipes. Instead of just having to follow the recipes, Michelle would really say like, okay, so crab paste is going to add your umami to the flavor. Like nobody's going to know that you put crab paste in this. Nobody's going to have a clue. But if you put a little bit more crab paste in this and you see the, the, the red color come out in it, you know, oh, dude, there's the naked lady. <laughs> sorry, sorry to interrupt this story. But that lady right there that's walking towards your car, okay, she's walking away. That's the lady that stripped down butt naked in our parking lot two weeks ago. <laughs> so if you ever see her again, just know that at any time she could just take her clothes off. <laughs> yeah, the, the doll of Lone Wolf. Um, uh, okay, sorry, sorry. No, that's okay. Um, so, but Michelle like gave me rather than just like cookie. <laughs> now I can't, I can't, I can't not think about that lady getting naked yeah. in our parking lot now. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but instead of Michelle just like you know walking me through the steps, she helped me really fully understand what I, what it was, mm-hmm. how the ingredients were affecting one another, and that had a big impact on me. Like. Uh, in in the way that I like to explain my recipes to our people like you know I really want them to understand what the things are doing like why we're doing this it's not Mm. just following steps like there's a reason why we do this there's a reason why we caramelize this ingredient before we add the next ingredient Um, and so I got a really cool understanding there at Keo and I even I was also trained on rolling spring rolls by a pregnant Vietnamese woman that mm. d- didn't speak a lick of English and every time I fucked up a spring roll she would slap my hand okay. like, like like it sounds like a movie story like a nun like slapping her hand but that's what she would do and she would just yell at me no no wrong like, like <laughs> wrong and no were the English words that she spoke um, and I remember after like three weeks of rolling she finally like I rolled one and I was just like that is legit that's the one she came over and she was like oh yes yes <laughs> I was like yes alright awesome awesome um, but, but anyway, so to, to wrap that all up, like, so cooking at Keo, um, I knew that I wanted to start a restaurant someday. It's what I wanted to do. I didn't want to work. I was never happy working for other people. Um, I was always, uh, striving to kind of do things my way. So I kind of always, like, I would get in trouble at Keo because I, once I understood the ingredients, I would manipulate the recipes a little bit mm-hmm. my way to be like, you know, it's way better if I do it this way. So I would like send them out that way. And then people would come in the next time and get a dish made from somebody else and send it back and say, this doesn't taste the same. And, and in my head, I'm like, yeah, because I know how to cook better than all you guys. <laughs> but <laughs> to my head chef, it's like, you son of a bitch. You're manipulating my recipe. It's like, yeah. we have to make this the same way. So I got a good lesson in like why we make things the way that chef wants them made. Because, you know, this is their food. This is not my food. It's not my job to improve upon their food, whether I think I'm improving it or not. Yeah. Um, So I was a bastard at that time. But at the same time, like, I was getting an education in how how you should run a restaurant, how a kitchen should be ran, and why those things are not acceptable. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but I went to Zahida and was like, you know, hey, I really want to open a restaurant someday. And she just kind of gave me a swift kick in the ass of, Philip, you're never going to open your restaurant. She said, listen, you have, you have no idea the expenses that it costs to open a restaurant. And this was 10 years ago. Expenses have greatly gone up in the past 10 years. Yeah. And she just kind of broke it down to me and just kind of crushed me and said, like, you know, if you can't get a loan for a $20,000 car, then how do you think you're ever going to open a restaurant? Um, and so at the same time as that totally crushed me and defeated me, it also, there was the part of me that the little punk back then that said, you know, fuck you, Zahida. <laughs> like, yeah. I am too, and I'll, I'll show you. I'll show you how I'm going to do this. Um, but I had no idea how I was going to do it. It was just like a spiteful, revenge-type thing. Um, yeah. And then I, I moved down to Austin, Texas, and I got to experience a food truck scene down there. I fell in love with a food truck called Torchy's Tacos. Um, mm. At the time, it was only a food truck. Now there are like 35 Torchy's Tacos restaurants all across the Midwest. Um, they just opened one up in Norman. Um, they're in Colorado. They're all throughout Texas. Like It's just like totally the, the success story of starting from a tiny little crappy food truck and getting to where... You own 35 restaurants across the country, and there's no there's no sign of it stopping. Yeah. Um, so, like, I fell in love with them. So, I would I I actually lived in a teepee down there uh, in this behind this hippie house. Whoa! Uh, it, was, it was a place called the Radical Dixie Ranch. It was a lot of chicks. Well, there were a, a few chicks. That, you know, were there was a lot of skin walking around. Um, there was a, there was a shanty shack in the backyard with this dude that lived back there. It was cool as hell. He played banjo in a bluegrass band. But he had this like shanty that he built himself. That he was living in, and my friend Scott had uh, a teepee, which is actually what this is. This signifies my tattoo. I just got it. It's still healing. Wow, um, I lived in the cool. teepee through a snowstorm that came through Austin, um, and there's not snow or ice ever in Austin. Um, yeah. So I got to like experience this awesome ice storm while living in this teepee, um, and uh, but like the so the food truck court was like, basically across the street, so I could hop my fence and run over to the food truck court mm-hmm. and experience food trucks all the time. So I really developed this love for them because um, they were like for some reason making more exciting food than I was getting when I was going and sitting down at a restaurant, and just the whole vibe of it all just really spoke to me. Um, so I started talking to people and finding out how, what it really took them initial investment to open their food truck. Yeah. Cause you know, back then 10 years ago, Zahida was telling me, you know, you're not going to open your restaurant for less than $250,000. Like it's just not going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and that was, you know, devastating. So when I talked to these guys and I found out that they opened their food truck for $25,000, you know, one tenth of what Zahida was telling me, you're never going to get. So when she said, you know, if you can't get that $20,000 car loan, how are you going to get $250,000? Well, now all of a sudden my restaurant was just that car loan. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was like, oh shit, okay, cool. So we can do this. So uh, I brought up, Danielle and I started talking about it and we started saving our money um, and started saving up. Uh, to basically make this become a reality. And we went through lots of different iterations of what type of food we were going to do, what the truck was going to be, like, you know, everything. We just had no idea what, what we were really going to do. Um, and uh, we were getting close to, to what we needed to do, and then my grandfather passed away. And uh, he left a, a small inheritance to me and my brother and my sister. It was, you know, it was really small. It was a few thousand, a few thousand dollars. But what it was was exactly what Danielle and I needed to open our food truck. So That's it was awesome. like this little influx, like, oh, holy crap. So rather than just squander this and, like, let's go take a trip to New York and blow four grand in a weekend, it was like, okay, let's put the four grand in and let's go find our food truck. And so we drove to Oklahoma City and found a food truck up there for $13,000. 
and we, uh, we bought the food truck. It was called Taco Suppressa Number Two, which is Taco Surprise. It had a <laughs> dancing taco on the front of it that was spray painted with a big curly mustache. And uh, like, think of the name Taco Surprise Number Two uh, of all. So like, what's the surprise that's in my taco? Like, yeah. hey, surprise! It's not a taco. <laughs> like, or like, what? Uh, what, what it was. Horrible, horrible. I totally understood why they were selling the truck. Yeah. Uh, but uh, so we bought the truck and still didn't have any idea what our concept. Well, we we had an idea. We actually we made a concept for a, a gourmet burger truck called Moo Bear Burgers. And Moo Bear was our dog at the time. She's since passed away from cancer. Uh, but she was just this big, fat, awesome shepherd mix dog that we had named Moo Bear. And uh, so we were going to call it Moo Bear Burgers. And we had a full menu written. Um, every burger was. Uh, two to three meat burger to where like the patty was going to be a specific grind whether it was oxtail or whether it was uh, you know a beef grind or whether it was chicken or whether it was pork so we we're going to have a specific type of patty uh, multiple kinds mm -hmm. and then we're going to do different types of braised meats and smoked meats on top of that um, so like it, every meat every burger was like a trifecta blend of all different kinds of meats like it was this awesome thing but at the same time you you ate one of them and you wanted to die for a week like you yeah. couldn't the thought of eating anything else for an entire week was just like fuck you i need to eat white rice for the rest of this week because that was it was amazingly delicious horrible nightmare inducing gut bomb uh, you know so we were like yo so people are gonna love this but they're probably only gonna eat it once a month because there's no way you can come back and keep eating this shit mm -hmm. Um, so we, we still have this. We developed our menus and all that stuff. And then I went out on a tour um, with the band I was playing at the time, Unwed Sailor. And Danielle flew out to California for our California stretch of shows. And we were in San Francisco. And we, we all woke up one morning. Uh, we played the Warfield that night, uh, the night before. And uh, the next morning, we were walking to some bakery that we knew had, like, really awesome croissants. And so we were going to go get some pastries. And uh, we were walking down to the bakery. Um, and uh, we passed by this bun mi shop, and um, Danielle and I had had traditional bun mi before, which is like you know what you can get in Tulsa. The only place I know that you can get really traditional bun mi is like Nam High. Um, mm. You can get it funny now, but Nam High would have like the two dollar, two dollar bun mi sandwiches, which are um, no you know no offense to traditional bun mi. To me, they're uh, they're a little terrifying. Um, you know, you do pate and head cheese and things like that, which are all cool. They can all be delicious ingredients. But when you factor in how people are selling it for $2 a sandwich, that's where it's, it should scare the living shit out of you. Mm -hmm. Because, uh, you know, I mean, you have to, in order to make a profit margin off a $2 sandwich, they only, they have to have like 20 cents invest, 25 cents invested in that sandwich. Um, and that's, think about the quality of shit that's going into a sandwich that is only 25 cents to build. Like, that's a yeah. shitty sandwich. <laughs> you do not want to eat it. Um, so, so anyway, so traditional bun, we, we, we've had all that before, but we go into this shop, and uh, Danielle actually pulled me in. We were, I was dead set. We're getting croissants and espresso this morning. And she says, you know what? I've been wanting to try an upscale bun me. We've never done it before. I've seen it on TV or whatever, but I've never experienced it in Oklahoma. So we did, I don't even remember the name of the shop. We just randomly walked by it. She mm -hmm. said, okay, we're going in. And they're, you know, all the bun me is $8. So at first we're like, oh, slightly sticker shock. Like, whoa, this is way more expensive than traditional bun me. 
Um, however, like eight bucks for a sandwich, like, I mean, come on, like you can't even go to Arby's and leave for under 10 bucks these days. Yeah. Um, so, uh, so, but, so we, we decided to try it and we got, I think a lemongrass chicken bun me. Um, and we got one to split and we ate it on the way to the, to the bakery and we had everybody in the band take a bite of it because it just blew our fucking minds. Just absolutely just like, holy shit. Holy shit, how is this so amazing? Mm -hmm. And why is there nobody in Oklahoma that's making it taste this way? And the very first thing that we did is Danielle looked at me and said, do you know how to make this? I said, of course I know how to make this because I just went back to my my cooking time at Keo and knew that you know they're putting balanced meats, sweet, savory, spicy, sour. You know, it, it's all about that uh, balance of flavor. So, and that yeah, it was really like that's what I excel in in cooking is balancing, is balance. Yeah. Um, you know, taking seasoning right to the precipice of where it needs to be and not going over. Never under seasoning and never over seasoning. Like always getting it to the very exact point to where no one needs to season it. You, you'll never see salt on a table. Like I, it, nothing pisses me off more than seeing seasonings on tables because yeah. if I go and eat somebody's food, I want to eat their food. I don't want to manipulate the food. I want to know the way that they make it, you know? Yeah. Um, and so, like, so I, I pride myself in balance and finding sweet, spicy, savory, sour, and then that hidden umami flavor. Like, that's just kind of what I excel in. Um, and so I, I was able to dissect that sandwich and just be like, okay, cool. I know what they're doing. This slaw is the sour component. Um, there's fresh jalapeno in here that's the spice component. This meat clearly is the sweet component. Um, and the savory is that they had, a, uh, they had a flavored mayo in there, you know, and it was like, holy shit, like, this, uh, this jalapeno mayo is the Oreo, actually it was a roasted garlic uh, aioli. There's the savory. Um, so it was just like, it was just like seeing like a, I don't know, like a puzzle that just all came together at the same time and just sparked mm -hmm. in my head and went, I can, I can do this. I can do this. So we immediately came back and uh, when we, I got off tour, first thing we did that night was made bun me at the house. And then the next night we had our friends, uh, I think Daniel Gimlin and some people all came over and we, we fed them all our bun me. Um, mm. And the very next day, and we'd also been doing this with our burgers as well. So we'd been ho hosting dinner parties to test our burgers. And people were like, holy shit, this burger's amazing, but holy shit, I feel so bad. Um, and then the bun me, uh, everybody called, every single person called me back the next day to say, can we, we come back over and you make those again today? Yeah. Every single person and every single time we hosted a dinner party, they called me back the next day and said, can we come back over and you make those again today? Um, and people were just, everybody was losing their minds over it. And we were able to do cartwheels afterwards. Like you felt light and amazing. Like you yeah. ate the sandwich that looks large. You're like, Hold, how am I going to eat all this? But you actually eat it all. And then you can still go and play and run around and, you know, whatever you want to do because, like, it actually, like, I felt myself getting energy the first few times I ever ate bun me like this with really good, high-quality ingredients, you know, organic produce, freshly baked bread. It, it all just resonated in me, and it told me in my body something like, you know, I, I can make gut bomb food that people are like, this is so delicious. <laughs> or, but now I can make this. It's like, you know what? That was amazing. Like, oh my gosh, do you realize what that just did for my mind as well as my body? Um, and so, so we're just like, okay, well, this is kind of a no brainer because we come from Tulsa where is a lot of the food is gut bomb food. Yeah. Um, I mean, I was raised on gut bomb. I love gut bomb food. It's the best. <laughs> I love going to sleep right after I eat. But... We could be the you know one of those select few that are making food that doesn't make people feel that that absolutely uh, excites them, 
uh, opens their taste buds to something they haven't tasted before, expands their palates, and makes them feel good afterwards, and makes them definitely want to come back the next day. Yeah. Um, so we went out of town, and we had a couple dinner parties out of town. We had one in Stillwater. We had multiple dinner parties, and everybody called us back every single time wanting more. So, so we just said, okay, cool. Well, we got the truck. We're scrapping Moo Bear Burgers. We're working on this. So then the next day was finding a fucking name for us. And we, that yeah. I think that took ten months for us to decide a name for us. Um, I, I I wish I could remember some of the god awful names we went through. Like <laughs> we would go up to Fastler Hall and get drunk, and we would just go and start saying names to people. And be like, "What do you think of that?" <laughs> like, "What are you talking about?" We're like, "Please, please, like listen to me." Um, I think the name that I was eventually like the name that I was dead set on calling uh, our truck was uh, was Lopan. Um, which was after the the bad guy in Big Trouble in Little China. Nice. <laughs> um, and uh, I was actually, like, I had it in my head, like, I was going to have Lopan painted on the side, like, with his big, long fingers, like, over a giant sandwich. Um, and, um, like awesome. it was, So the whole truck was going to be themed after after Big Trouble in Little China. So, like, you know, it could have even said Big Trouble in Little Tulsa. Who knows? Uh, it, which, that would have been sweet. would have been freaking awesome. <laughs> yeah. Like, I still want that truck. Like, maybe yeah. I'll just start, like, a steam bun truck or something to call it Lopan, just so we... We can have it. But then we, uh, so, so like we went all these iterations in the name and we just couldn't say nothing. Just really said like, that is it. And uh, one day I was watching one of my favorite samurai. I'm not that big into samurai movies, but there's one samurai series in particular that I think is some of the greatest movies ever made. Um, Cinematography in it is amazing. Music is amazing. Dialogue is amazing. Everything is amazing about it. Um, And it's called Lone Wolf and Cub. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's a seven-part series. There are seven movies they film consecutively back-to-back. So when you watch a series, it's all the same actors... Um, and they, you know, they've only aged the year that since the last movie was made. So they like made them all back to back. So it's just this cool. It's got awesome continu- continuity. Um, it's just incredible. It's one of the coolest fucking samurai movies you'll yeah. ever see. Um, it's absolutely awesome. Lone Wolf and Cub. If you've never heard, seen it, look up Lone Wolf and Cub um, and fall in love with Hitori Hanzo. Um, uh, oh wait, no, wait. I just said I just said the wrong name. <laughs> <laughs> uh, fall in love with Degori, his son, because <laughs> I can't remember his name. Unless that was a no, I think that I just said the name of the dude from uh, Kill Bill that makes the swords. Nice. I think that's what I just said. Uh, it's been but, so long. Since uh, uh, Ogami Ito. Yeah. Ogami Ito is his name. If that matters at all to fucking anybody, <laughs> uh, but watch Lone Wolf and Cub. That's what we took the name from. So I loved the four word name: Lone Wolf and Cub. Like, it just resonated with me for, it's not just like, you know, lo- it could have just been called Lone Wolf and whatever, like, that's fine, but it was Lone Wolf and Cub. And for some reason, that four-word phrase always resonated with me, so it was like, you know what, we're going to do Lone Wolf Bun Me. We're going to force people to say four words when they say our restaurant name. It's not just mm-hmm. McNelly's or Sutures or whatever, like, you know, it's Lone Wolf Bun Me. Um, and for some reason, that had impact to me. Like, it had weight when I wrote it all out. People were like, are you going to make your LLC say bun me as well? It could just be Lone Wolf LLC. I'm like, no, it's Lone Wolf bun me. Like, for some reason, that four-word thing had impact. So, anyways, that's why we did it, and here we are, Lone Wolf bun me. Nice. So, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, and I'm, I just talked for like 30 minutes. I'm sorry. I, I know, it's, <laughs> it's totally okay. I, I enjoy that. You, you guys are the first place for, for me that I knew figured out what bond me was i never knew what bond me was until i came here i tried to describe it to my mom and i'm like it's it's a sandwich but 
it's like a, I, I don't know. I, I, it was hard for me to explain to her. I was like, you just have to come here and try it. So um, yeah. I think it's fantastic. Can you describe to one of your other like big um, items is kimchi fries? Describe yeah. that a little bit. Yeah. So the kimchi fries actually came from my wife Danielle. Um, we uh, we were struggling to figure out what type of sides we were going to do with our bun mi. Um, so we like we had already written our bun mi menu, um, and we were just trying to figure out like okay, what else are we going to sell? Or it has to be sides here. We don't just just wrapping our brains around it just really couldn't come up with something that made perfect sense to pair with it and be as exciting. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, Danielle uh, Danielle loves kimchi. She absolutely loves kimchi. I like making kimchi. I like the smell of kimchi. Um, I'll eat kimchi in moderation, but it's not something that I just consume all the time. Yeah. Which is surprising, seeing as though we you know make hundreds of pounds of kimchi every week, and I eat little pieces here and there. I, I think kimchi is an amazing product. It's great if you're sick. It's great uh, if you're going through illness because it's you know it's it's a superfood, so it's full of probiotics. It helps balance everything outside your body. Um, awesome. For what it does to your body, it is a wonder food. I mean, it's absolutely it mystifies me how you know now that like as science is advancing, we're understanding we're understanding gut bacteria better. You know, science like you'll read on NPR all the time, little science thing about gut bacteria and like how bacteria in your stomach is actually a good thing and they're finding out the bacteria that help regulate things within your body. And that's pretty much what kimchi does. It's full of all these amazing bacteria that go through your body and clean you out and you know, help restore things. It's really an amazing food. But so so Danielle was always been into kimchi, um, but we've never made kimchi before. And uh, I think she was actually watching a show on the Travel Channel or something like that, and it showed something out on the West Coast that just simply mentioned kimchi fries. Mm. I don't think that she saw what they look like or anything like that. It said just mention kimchi fries. So she came back home one day and mentioned them to me and said, you know, kimchi fries. And I was just like, okay, well, let's start doing some research. So I did I did a little bit of research on, on, uh, on kimchi fries, and uh, there were really only a couple people in the entire country that were doing kimchi fries at the time. Mm. And I'd never experienced them before in my life. But obviously, I understood everything that was going on with them. Um, so I made them one night for Danielle. And, um, I mean, from the first bite, we just went, holy shit. Like, holy shit. Just could not stop dropping cuss words because it was like, it was like this is this is incredible. Like, yeah. how have I never – this was another thing. Just like the Bun Mi where he said, how have we never tasted this before? Like, how have we never tasted this? How is nobody doing this? Like, these flavors – this is so strangely complex. It's such a strange dish to think of anyways. Like, you know, you're doing french fries with cheese – First off, cheese has no place in Asian cooking whatsoever. Yeah. There should not be any freaking dairy in that food, but it works. It somehow absolutely works. Um, and it just, yeah, so it blew our mind from the, from the first bite. And so originally, I didn't, know, I didn't know anything about making kimchi at the time. I'd never been taught in, like, fermenting foods. So I went, we, our whole first two years... We bought our kimchi from Nam Hai, so we were using jarred kimchi, and that shit was funky. Like it, it had a, it had a funky flavor to it. And so, a, a lot of what I've done with Lone Wolf, uh, I, I prided myself in taking um, things that were traditionally funky mm-hmm. and making them accessible to people that grew up in this region, essentially, to where like I use less fish sauce than most people use fish sauce in, in recipes because fish sauce I found. 
Uh, although it is a fantastic and an amazing ingredient and has wondrous possibilities that you can do with it, when it is overused, um, it really isolates the traditional, say, Southern American palate. It will really put, it's the one thing where you can go, what is that? What is that flavor that I'm tasting? Mm-hmm. Like, and you can't get escape it. So you like I, I have really prided myself in, in taking the funk out of a lot of things that were traditionally funky and making it to where like my father-in-law that uh, or my stepdad that will only eat a cheeseburger with meat and American cheese on it. Mm-hmm. He'll come here and he'll eat the food and be nice. like, "That was amazing!" Like you know, but you couldn't send him to Payway yeah. to eat, or I mean, I, you could probably send him to Payway. You couldn't send <laughs> you couldn't send him to Viet Hong to eat. He would go, "What the hell is this?" You know. Yeah. Um, so so. Like, again, with the kimchi, you know, we were used to tasting funky kimchi, and I really wanted, I wanted something that was fresher. Like, I'm, uh, like I'm all about making the, the vegetables and the fresh produce really sing to you when you're tasting it and not feel muddled or, like, masked by some sort of funkiness that doesn't absolutely have to be there. So, like, like when we make curry every winter season, we make Thai green curry from scratch. Oh. So typical curry is made with, with ground shrimp or a salted shrimp or shrimp paste. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it is almost like you'll very rarely ever find a vegetarian curry because there is some sort of dried or salted shrimp in it. We don't do that whatsoever. We make our curry completely vegan, vegetarian, but any meat eater would have no idea that, there, that there's, no, like, there's no meat in this, mm-hmm. but it's still amazing. Um, and so we did the same thing with kimchi. Kimchi is traditionally made with salted shrimp or, uh, um, or some sort of shrimp paste that helps add, aid in the fermentation of the process. Yeah. So what we did was I didn't want that shit in there. I wanted it to taste, I wanted you to taste ginger. I want you to taste uh, lime peel. And I want you to taste uh, uh, gokujaru, the, the Korean chili flake. Like I, I want those flavors to really stand out. So we didn't really quite know how to do it. So um, our uh, one of the guys we helped us... From the beginning, Brad Muck, he was actually uh, in his graduating semester at OSU Okmogi uh, going to culinary school. So what we did is we hit up Chef Live, who um, who was one of the main instructors at OSU Okmogi, and we went to him with a fermentation project and said, okay, we want Brad's last project to be a kimchi project mm-hmm. so we can develop a kimchi recipe. So we actually developed our recipe through OSU Okmogi um, over the course of like two or three months. I uh, we went through multiple processes because the crazy thing with kimchi is, you know, you, you make a batch and then it has to ferment for at least three weeks before you're going to taste it. Wow. So three weeks later, you taste it and go, oh, too much salt. Like, shit, three more weeks. Like, <laughs> so then you make another batch. and then you, so, so it's a lot of trial and error to really perfect your recipe just because it's so... You know, so you just have, you have to wait so long to taste it. Um, so I think it took us two or three months before we finally developed our recipe. Um, but, you know, it's 100% vegetarian and vegan kimchi. Um, you know, there's no shrimp in it whatsoever. And, I mean, I, I'm totally biased, obviously, but I think it's the best kimchi I've ever eaten. I absolutely adore it. Yeah. Um, so, so, yeah, so, you know, kimchi fries came from Danielle proposing something to me and then me obsessing over it for a few <laughs> years. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. That's that's awesome. Yeah, my br- my brother like came here and he he tried it for the first time and he was like, "Man, this is amazing. Like I've no. never had anything like this," which is really cool. What would you say to um any any other aspiring um people that are trying to be in the food industry or trying to make a small business? Um what advice would you give them? Well, uh advice for starting a small business is Obviously, like, uh, don't go into it 
don't go into anything that you're absolutely not passionate about. Yeah. Uh, because it is, uh, it is dev- running your own business can be absolutely devastating at times. Um, you you go through so many ups, th- so many highs, and so many lows with running a business. I mean, you know, you you as soon as you start feeling like you're getting on top of things, something breaks, and you have to spend eight thousand dollars to repair something. And if you don't do it, your business is shut down. You yeah. know, um, it's a, it it it's it is a horribly stress inducing thing to run your own business. Um, the best bit of advice we got. Uh, especially if you're going into business with your partner, that makes it even harder. Um, and the best bit of advice we got was from Phil and Miranda Kaiser that run Lafa and Cosmo Cafe. Okay. Um, they said, because they run bus- their businesses together and they've been married for a long time happily. Um, and uh, they said, make distinct roles. Like, you need to be in, someone needs to be in charge of the paperwork side of the business. Someone needs to be in charge of the food and the employee side of the business. And don't ever cross the streams. <laughs> cross the streams and you enter, you know, like Bill Murray gets sucked through the whole black hole or whatever. <laughs> Don't cross the streams. Um, uh, so, you know, so, and, and like, it seems sounds simple, but it's not that simple when, when you really like, you have financial issues all the time. You have mm-hmm. employee issues all the time. You have building issues all the time. Um, and it gets really easy to fight about those issues, um, because they're so stress inducing. Um, so you, you make clear-cut roles. Any decisions I make about how to manage our employees, how to put food, what food items I'm going to put on the menu, Danielle's got my back. Yes, I'm right in everything that I decide over there. And everything that she does with the accountants, with scheduling caterings, with getting things booked, um, with payroll, she is right. That is 100% her department. So having those clear-cut roles has really helped make it easier. We could have divorced two years ago if we didn't have those clear-cut roles. Um, like it, It's really stressful. Um, but the, the main thing, it, it, not to just only add doom and gloom to running your own business, what is amazing about it is waking up every day and knowing that you're the one that is controlling your future. And that is an amazing thing, and it's incredibly powerful to be able to sit back and go, I am in charge of my destiny today. But then you also go, oh, shit, I'm in charge of my destiny today. <laughs> I got to get out of bed because I'm not getting paid. Um, and, uh, but but the, great thing, so the great thing about being an entrepreneur here in Tulsa is that Tulsa is absolutely a sponge for culture. We, um, you know, maybe from the outside, it's like, oh, Tulsa, Oklahoma, like some like backwoods place or whatever. But this is actually mm-hmm. a place of very open-minded and uh, – broad-minded people that want culture. You know, we used to be the uh, the chain restaurant um, test market in the country. Every yeah. They would, out in South Tulsa, any new chain that wanted to test a market came here to test their chain because we are full of a bunch of, like, apparently to the outside, a bunch of idiots that want nothing but TGI Fridays shoved down our fucking mouths, and we don't want anything to do with local food. So, like, we were the test market, which is just insane. I pray to God we're not still. I haven't done the research to know if we're still the test market. It doesn't seem like we are, because you don't see as many chains opening up. You see way more local restaurants now opening up than you do see yeah. chains opening up. So I think there's been a shift. And the cool thing about that as an entrepreneur is if you're passionate about something and you do something well, you can put it out there and your thing that you think could never actually turn into a business or that you could never be a businessman or you could never be an entrepreneur, all of a sudden you are because you decided to just to do it. Um, if you do something that is of quality, 
people want you to do that rather than them do it themselves. Hmm. So, like, you know, sure, somebody could make a bun me at their house. They could they could source, you know, decent a decent baguette from somewhere around town. Actually, they can't, by the way. I fucking <laughs> looked everywhere. It took us forever to get our bread nailed down. Um, but, you know, you could make a bun me at your house. Um, but you could just come here to Lone Wolf and eat an awesome bun me in under five minutes. Yeah. Um, and, and the cool thing is, is that people actually would prefer to do that. Um, if you if you have something that's quality and you care about it and you show people that you care, that is, from our experience, instantly reciprocated. Yeah. Um, so like it is due to where, you know, if we had, if Danielle and I had opened this up in San Francisco, we probably would have been closed down our first year. Who knows? But because we opened up here in Tulsa in our hometown, where people are eager for culture, we are eager for change. Like. We were fully embracing it. You've got the gathering place opening up. You've got all these projects in the Brady District. The Blue Dome is expanding. You know, all the people are actually moving downtown now. Um, Everybody's excited about what's happening. So if you have an exciting idea and you put it out there, I don't think that your exciting idea is going to be overlooked by Tulsa. I think it's fully embraced. So, I mean, I fully encourage anybody and everybody, put yourself out there. Uh, the scariest thing, the, the, the times that I've done things in my life where I've been the most scared, I got the most reward out of those things. You know, the mm-hmm. times when I sat up at night contemplating suicide, not able to sleep, like, how can I do this? Having panic attacks, like, what am I even thinking? You know, the, the those those situations in my life when I took the plunge and said, "Fuck it, I'm going to do it." Those things brought the greatest reward. Those things put me in a band that got me to play for 5,000 people a night across the country. Those things put me in San Francisco where I got to experience that bun me. Those things put me speaking to that food truck owner that I was nervous about talking to in Austin. You know, um, those things got me to drive to to Oklahoma City to put $13,000 on the line and buy the food truck. You know, um, it, it it is about taking your fear and absolutely conquering it because you're what we're afraid of is what we truly want you know Hmm. um at least in my opinion Um, what we're afraid of is what we possibly subconsciously truly desire and we're only afraid of it because we're afraid of failing or being scared by that thing or whatever so yeah yeah Fuck your fears. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. So how? what are ways people can support you? What are ways people can follow you or, or know what Lone Wolf's doing and stuff like that? Um, so, uh, so Lone Wolf, you know, we have our first restaurant here right across the street from TU. Um, we're on the corner of 11th and Florence, which is on 11th Street between Harvard and Lewis. So we're now open Monday through Saturday, uh, 11 a.m. to 10 p.m. on the weekdays, 11 to 11 on the weekends. Um, we uh, So obviously... Come down here and try Lone Wolf if you've never been here. We now have uh, beer that we sell. We have an amazing house beer, which is one of the coolest things. You know, so we have, we're now collaborating with American Solera, which is yeah, Chase Healy, um, the head brewmaster of Prairie, who went so and started good. his own. Yeah, it's so cool. So he reached out to us, and now we have our own house beer, which you can only get this beer here at Lone Wolf, or you can get it at the brewery. Um, and it's a lemongrass and kaffir lime saison. Um, and, uh, you know, we sell them in big old three beer bombers here, but you can take them home. So that's a cool thing a lot of people don't realize is if it's unopened, you can buy that thing and just take it home and drink it. So we've got awesome beer here for you to try. The food trucks are still operating, but they're only really operating on uh, festivals and things like that now. Um, so 
Go to LoneWolfTruck.com if you want to see our schedule. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Lone Wolf Tulsa for all social media. So on Facebook, on Instagram, on Twitter, we're Lone Wolf Tulsa. Um, find us on there. You'll find the dates, the times, you know, what specials we're running. Um, it's almost curry season. I think uh, right after Halloween we'll start making Thai green curry again here. Oh, man. Um, so, yeah, we're here. We're waiting. well thanks for being on the low-key podcast man dude thank you for having me yeah uh sorry like i i'm i have to apologize because i i am an introvert when i'm around people typically but when i start talking about food or business or my family or music i become a complete extrovert and i can't shut my freaking mouth (laughs) that's okay yeah that's what that's what we're here we're here to listen and hear your stories so right on thanks for being on and we out guys peace (laughs) Want to thank you guys again for giving a listen to the Low Key Podcast. Want to remind you guys that you could check us out on iTunes. Go review us. Go subscribe to us. Go give us feedback and reviews. We would love that. And share us with your friends. Also, go like us on Instagram. Go follow us on Facebook. Go like us on Facebook. Actually, those were reversed, so... Go follow us on Instagram. Go like us on Facebook. See what the Low Key Podcast is doing. Also want to thank Philip Phillips for being on the Low Key Podcast. Thank you so much for sharing your story. Go see what they're doing at Lone Wolf, at their different locations, the one on Harvard, their food truck, which comes out here and there. Um, But also go try their food. It's fantastic. Believe me, you won't regret it. Well, I want to thank you guys again for listening. Go subscribe to us. Go like Lone Wolf, everything they do. And go check out what they're doing. But also, keep it nice. Keep it easy. Keep it low-key. Thanks, guys.